Good morning, Tabernacle. So glad that you're with us. I want to especially welcome our friends, our family that are in Manistee. Uh, it's a good day to be in church. I want to start with this question. The question is, is can a person really change? Can a person really change? I mean, some of us, it, it, it's a hard thing to believe that real change can actually happen. You know, we can make kind of outward changes, but can anyone really change? I was thinking about that in uh, preparation for this weekend. And so I started thinking about my own life. And uh, I think we can change and we can change ourselves to a certain degree with like a little bit of a change of attitude. Um, you're probably aware that um, I wasn't super happy that the state of Michigan decided to put not one, but two roundabouts <laughs> between Buckley and Traverse City. Manistee, I don't know if you've ever driven that way. You probably come the cool way that takes, you know, a little bit quicker. But uh, um, for me, that means just a little bit longer getting to Menards. And I voiced that opinion, right? That why do we need these roundabouts? And I had a bad attitude, but it's been, I don't know, has it been a year, two years? I don't know. It took them five years to build them, but um, I don't know if that's true. But I noticed the last couple times I've gone through the roundabout that my attitude has changed because instead of being sad about them, and I know someone's going to come up and go, oh, they're much safer, whatever. Now I like the roundabouts. I've changed. I've changed. And the reason I like the roundabouts is they make me feel like a Formula One driver. Just for a minute, my boring pastoral existence, if it's dry enough, if it's wet, you're going to drift, <laughs> right? But uh, that's a good feeling for a grandpa to have every once in a while that he's an F1 guy. And I've discovered on the one, because one of them's got two lanes. And if you're in that outside lane and you got, you know, Pokey is in the, in the inside and he kind of, you can dive inside and get right over the curb. It makes you feel like Michael Schumacher. That's a race car driver for all my redneck friends, who's not in NASCAR. Just wanted you to know. So people can change is what I'm trying to say. People can change, but real change, that only happens if God changes you, if God does the changing. And so the reason that we've uh, uh, called this series, the I am series is there's this moment where God changed Moses' life. It was at a burning bush. It was at a burning bush that this happened. And one of the interesting things about the burning bush, and, and if you were here th two weeks ago, you heard us talk about that, is that burning bushes in the wilderness apparently are not uncommon. I've never been to that wilderness, but in my study this week, they say that burning bushes happen all the time. And so Moses, having been a shepherd for 40 years, he would have seen burning bushes before. Why did he turn aside? Because there was something uncommon about this common burning bush. You know, you got a dry, arid land, and, and it's really good kindling. And, you know, the same way that a forest fire starts in the middle of nowhere out west in North America, you can have a burning bush, a common thing. What was uncommon is the bush wasn't being consumed. And when he saw the uncommon in the common, that's when God spoke. So why am I bringing this up? is 
in this series, during this week, during this message, with upcoming opportunities that might seem very common for us, God speaks. God speaks. God speaks when you're on the roundabout. God speaks when you put your head on the pillow. God speaks through that friend, through that thing that you even saw. I can't believe I'm saying this on social media. God still speaks. So look for those moments. Listen for his voice is what I'm saying. So men, there's an opportunity for us before we jump in. By the way, uh, this morning we're in John chapter 8 if you want to turn there. But for the men, there's an opportunity and it might seem like a common thing and that you've been there and done that. But we have uh, uh, our man up retreat coming up in two weeks. And I would like to see every man who is able, who's age 18 and up, be a part of that thing because it's going to be cool. It's 24 hours. That's all we're asking. It starts on a Friday night and it ends on Saturday night. There's great food. There's great fun. We got a great speaker. No, it's not me. We've got a super band. We're there with other churches. They're going to throw axes for crying out loud. But if you want to, don't want to throw an axe, you can play euchre, talk around the fire. It's going to be a good time. And so the reason I'm saying this is because most men are like, meh. And so really I'm talking to the ladies. Sign him up, spend his money doing it, and then just tell him you're going. You have that power. We know. We know, right? So uh, uh, that's, oh, and I forgot to mention there's rocket ships too. So uh, if you want to see a bunch of grown men act like boys, and I didn't believe it until I got there. Um, the other thing is, uh, the other, there's a couple churches going there, but the two largest churches are the Tabernacle and Bayview, where my brother-in-law, Chris Emery, is the pastor. And so here's the deal. If Bayview has more men there than the Tabernacle, that is completely unacceptable. <laughs> I got to work here, people. Come on. So, man ups in two weeks. Let's go to John chapter 8 before I say something bad. So Jesus, in the book of John, builds on this name of God, I am that I am. He said to Moses, tell uh, the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And in the book of John, we see that connected to the person of Jesus because more than seven times he makes a statement that begins with I am. And he explains more of that because we talked about I am that I am. What does that mean? In some translations it says, I will be who I will be. Only God defines himself. And God in flesh, Jesus in the book of John, gives us a further definition of what I am is. I am what? And he tells us. And Pastor Britton last week did a great job with the, with the first I am statement when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And he associated that with satisfaction. The same way that bread, I love bread, as you can tell, love bread. Bread satisfies the deepest places of our tummy, if, especially if it's good bread. Are you with me? And then Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread. Jesus is the only thing that brings satisfaction. And then we get to the second I am statement, which is here in John chapter 8. And, and, and the context is they're in Jerusalem. And, and that morning actually began with, with them bringing a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery before Jesus. And, and they threw her before him and they said, our law says that you should stone her to death. And we've talked before about the hypocrisy because they didn't bring the dude she was with. They just brought her. 
And this is that famous moment when, when, when Jesus won't even really give him an answer. He writes in the sand and then he stands up and announces, whichever one of you has no sin, you get to cast the first stone. And one by one, they dropped the stones and left him alone with the woman. Remember that picture, isn't it? Beautiful picture. And remember he said to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Well, they've all gone. And he goes, well, neither do I accuse you. Hey, by the way, if you want to know what God's like, that's what God's like. If you showed up this weekend full of shame, doubting if you're loved, if you could ever be accepted or forgiven, if you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. That's what God's like. That's what God's like. And then this God in flesh, this Jesus in verse 12, there's a little gear shift and he takes it bigger. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, he says. And there's assurance there. Following Jesus means you will never, some translations say you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And so the second I am statement for us, the application is simple. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is, I put emphasis on is, the light of the world. What he's saying, it's a big statement. It isn't just the little, oh, cute, like rabbi, like deep thoughts kind of thing. No, he's saying, he's declaring, I am it. The light emanates from me. I am the one who illuminates all this darkness. He doesn't say, I have the light. He doesn't say, I am the enlightened one. He doesn't say, I know the way to the light or I hold the light or, or, you know, I'm the, he's saying he's the power source. He is the light. It's in him. And everything that comes from him is light, lighting up darkness. And this is quite a statement if you think about it. I mean, if he's not, it's kind of an arrogant thing to say. Like if I showed up saying, I am the light of the world, hopefully you'd, again, find a little white jacket for me that you can't move in real well and give me some medicine and put me in a padded room. But no, he's saying, I'm the light of the world because it's the truth. Jesus is the light of the world. And so, I mean, the first thing we can do is we think about, well, what does light do? What does light do in the physical world? Well, light exposes darkness. You walk in a dark place, you flip on the lights, and it exposes the darkness. Light always overcomes darkness. It's, it, you can never find a place so dark and so black that the tiniest little match won't produce light. Light always overcomes. Light is superior to darkness. And so light exposes darkness. That's true in the physical world. Well, in the spiritual world, it's the same thing. Which, by the way, is why many of us avoid the Bible. It's why many people avoid church. It's why many of us, you know, we say, well, you know, I'm really busy, but we avoid getting into some sort of group, men, women, students, whatever, young adults, because if we go there, we'll see that light is going to expose our darkness, and we don't like that. No one likes to be exposed. But that's what light does. It exposes 
the darkness. Darkness always flees from light. I've told you before, we used to do this uh, back in the day when I was a youth pastor. You know, we darken every light that we possibly could in, in what's now the food pantry, and it, it, it was called the firehouse. We even darkened the exit sign. Don't tell Michigan. It was just for a minute. Calm down. And then, and then just one little flame. Click. One little flame. Light exposes darkness. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I expose the darkness. And we don't like to be exposed. That's why some men won't go to man camp. They want to stumble around in the shadows. Keep the secrets. Light scatters darkness. Light scatters darkness. Have you ever been in a place where you saw one good man doing the right thing, surrounded by a bunch of dudes not doing the right thing, and it drew your attention to it? Have you ever seen that one good woman doing the right thing, doing the light thing, and the darkness around here was kind of forced to be quiet? Because that's what light does. And sometimes it just takes one man, one woman, one student to be light to scatter darkness. Light also brings life. Without light, there could be no life on earth, including your life. We need life. It's not just about photosynthesis and plants, the heat, the warmth, the energy that light brings. And so Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And if this is true physically, this is also true spiritually. You can't be a spiritual, a true spiritual person without Jesus. There's no energy. I mean, you could be goofy and call yourself a, you know, a Krishna or whatever, a, some sort of a, you know, enlightened person, but you're just talking words. Unless Jesus is the light that it emanates from, there's no energy, there's no life there. It brings life. I'm told that anyone that is exposed to prolonged periods of darkness can actually go blind. We need light for life and not just the necessities of life. Without light, there's no color. If there's no color, there's no beauty. This is the life that the light of the world brings. Light also is a guide, is it not? You follow the headlights in front of you. You follow the headlights of your own car. You put them brighter when it's real dark so you don't hit another one of these creatures that are all coming out from the wintertime, right? Light is a guide. We can navigate by lights. And light brings security. What's the first line of defense? Something goes bump in the yard, flip on the lights. Sorry, I know, Michigan people, some of you don't flip on the lights, you lock and load. But normal human beings, you flip on the lights because light brings security. Get a security light, right? Eventually you've got to have light or locking and loading won't do you any good. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So when we say Jesus is the light, he exposes darkness. He scatters darkness. He brings life with all of the energy and beauty that is necessary for life. He is the guide. He is a security, and his promise is whoever follows me will not walk in darkness forever will have that light. He's the light of the world. 
Now, it's interesting, the context where Jesus said this was actually called, or it was nicknamed the Festival of Lights. It was the Feast of Dedication for the Tabernacle, which was actually the rededication. I won't go into all the history and bore you with it, but there was a period of time where the Israelites were forced into exile, and when they came back, you know, led by the Maccabeans, and there was this huge civil war, and they won control of Jerusalem again, they rededicated the Tabernacle. Today, it's called Hanukkah. It happens uh, during our Christmas time, and it was marked by lots of lights. There were four 75-foot candelabras on the four corners inside the temple that were erected, and they were lit up. They lit up the whole temple, the temple courts, and then all of Jerusalem would be bonfires and candles and lamps and whatever you could do. Can you imagine the sight? Yes, you can. Think Clark Griswold. Every Christmas, you know, I mean, some people do it well. Some people, you know, shine the shiny thing that's got like a collage going on the side of their house with laser beams. And there's always some person that just got every possible bulb he or she could and they staple them up everywhere. The weird ones don't even take them down. I think it's March and I drove by a house still decorated for Christmas, right? It was at this festival with all of Jerusalem lit up. In my mind's eye, it happened at night in the evening when they've all, you know, they've lit it up. They're singing, there's celebration, there's worship. And then he announces in the midst of all these other lights, I am the light of the world. And they knew what he was saying. He was declaring that he's God, that he is God. All throughout scripture, we see why Jesus would associate himself with light. I'm going to take you on a little journey. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And remember, he said, let there be light. And there was light. And interestingly enough, God separated the light from the darkness. He separated light from the darkness. So the one who created life or light says, I am the light. And he separated light from darkness. Moses met God at a burning bush that was giving off light. When he went to Egypt to to free these people that were enslaved, oh, they were in spiritual darkness. One of the plagues was the plague of darkness. And all of Egypt was plunged into darkness. The sun didn't come up. Everything was just black, except God's people, they walked in light. When he led them out, he led them out by day with a, with, with, with a pillar of cloud. But at night, it was a pillar of fire that gave them light. It exposed darkness. It scattered it. It was their guide. It was their security. You, you want to know which way to go? Follow the pillar of fire. There's the light. You see in this, it's this motif all the way through the Old Testament. In Psalm 27, David wrote that the Lord is my light and my salvation. When he says he's my light, it's more than just a guide. It's my life source. In Psalm 119, he said about God's word. And remember God's word, it says at the beginning of John, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 
Jesus is the word, and this is all we need to know about the word. And David says in Psalm 119, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You tracking? It's the same story in Isaiah chapter nine. It prophesied about the Messiah who was Jesus. It said, there's a people who have been in darkness, but now they have seen a great light. In John chapter three, Jesus affirmed that he was that light when he said, light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead. And that's where we come into the whole program here. We can choose darkness or we can choose the light. Now, you might be saying, well, look, you know, we're in church, aren't we? You know, I'm here in Manistee, I'm watching online, I'm here in Buckley, and it's like, look, I got up for this. I, I've already chosen the light. Give me something new. The problem is, is even though I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I believe he's God, I still like darkness. Don't you? Because I can hide in the dark. One of my deepest fears is that you really knew me. You'd walk away in utter disgust. Do you ever feel the same way? In my flesh, I love the darkness, but in my soul, I'm drawn to the light. People love the dark. And then here we get to John chapter eight and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's interesting in John chapter nine, they bring him a man who was blind since birth. Blind since birth. And they ask him, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents that he's blind since birth? And he goes, you guys don't understand this. He goes, neither one. But instead there's a purpose for this man. And so that you know who I am. And so he heals him. And a man who's never seen light, all of a sudden the light switch gets kicked on. Why? Because he met Jesus. That's when the lights come on. It's when you really meet Jesus, the light of the world. And all of a sudden this man, the lights are turned on, his life has changed and people are rejoicing. And immediately what happens? Well, the religious people get involved. You can read all about the story in John chapter 9. And they drag this man's parents and this guy and they go, hey, we know this rabbi, this Jesus, he is a sinner. Give glory to God and say he didn't do it. And, you know, they kind of do this little charade where they're like, well, we don't know what happened. Or, we're, you know, we're staying out of that because they were so afraid of the religious people. They drag the man before them again and says, give glory to God and, and confess that this man is a sinner. The dude wouldn't do it. He's been in darkness his whole life. And this is the guy who says, Psh. You can say what you want about him. All I know is once I couldn't see, once I was blind and now I see. He met the light of the world. Are you with me? The lights come on. In 1 Peter chapter two, it says, we have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. I wonder what it was like for that guy to be blind your whole life and then as a grown man, all of a sudden, see to see your wife if you had one, to see your kids if you have them, to see your parents' face, to see a sunset, to see color, to see the roundabout. <laughs> in Ephesians 5, it says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. 
speaking to Christians. Now, if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, and you think, boy, these people think they're pretty you know, special because apparently they're in light and I'm in darkness. That's the truth. Because when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying all of us at one time were in darkness. That without him, there is no light. Jesus is the only way to make sense of the world. You can go to self-help people and do self-help things, train yourself in your business, train yourself in leadership, train yourself in your relationships, train yourself physically. You can do all that kind of stuff, but it's still dark. The lights don't get kicked on without Jesus. That's what connects them all together. In 1 John chapter 2, it says that if you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. But if you love your brother, you abide in the light. And last but not least, it says at the end of all things, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. For those who've received Jesus Christ and believed in the one true God and spent eternity with him, it says we will need no light, no lamp or sun because the Lord God will be our light. Jesus is the light of the world. So what about us? What's that for us? Okay, he's the light and that's really cool. Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter five, it's something else Jesus said which is uh, quite interesting. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, probably the greatest sermon ever uh, preached. Um, And in Matthew chapter five, verses 14, he's talking to people who believe in him. And this is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this begs the question. I'm not going to dodge it. Over there in John, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will never walk in darkness. But over here, he's talking to believers, and he goes, you are the light of the world. Well, which is it? Is that a contradiction? And the answer is no. Because you and I are the light of the world when we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, the light doesn't emanate from me. I can't illuminate anything unless I am reflecting his light to others. Why do you think it says love God and love people? We're just a reflection of the perfect article. He is the light. He is the light. The moon does not shine. You know that, right? The sun shines. The moon does not shine. The moon reflects. We're the moonies. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. That, that, that was dumb. That was a dad joke that just popped in my head. <laughs> Try to forget that, right? But the same way the moon and the planets reflect the sun, that's what he means here when he says, you are the light of the world. And he tells us a city of lights like that on a hill cannot be hidden. This is what happens when we come together as the church, when our little light shines are shining. Got to let your little light shine. And when we're doing that together, we become this city on a hill. He says, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
So this isn't just an appeal for people to come out of darkness and receive the light of the world as the personal Lord and Savior. This is also for those of us that have seen the light, the lights have been flipped on to take off the bushel basket and shine that light. He says, you don't light a lamp and then hide it. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. We don't, we don't do good works so people can look at us. We don't do good works. We don't love God, love people, forgive, serve, help. We're not generous so people will look at us. If we look at us, we're still in darkness. But we do it so they'll glorify the light of the world who is Jesus. Am I making sense? It says, you are the light of the world. We reflect that light. And we reflect it when we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We reflect that love when we genuinely love people, even the ones we don't like. We reflect that love when we're on God's mission. So many of us, God is still for us. You think church is for us. You think the Bible is about us. The singing is about us. Prayer is I pray so I can get something for us. No, it's about him. Church is about him. The Bible's about him. Singing is about him. Prayer is to him and for him and about him. I'm getting worked up and I still have another sermon to go. When we're on mission, it's mission for him. The reason we talk about being a domino is to reflect his light. I am not the light. You are not the light. But we become the light when we're reflecting his light. Now, how do we dim the light? Because we do. So first of all, if you're not a Christian, I'm not arrogantly saying anything on my own. I am genuinely trying to say what the Bible says. If you're not a Christian, you are in darkness. And if you're saying, well, I seem to have a pretty good idea of what is good and what to do and how to love without Jesus' help, the only reason that you do is because there's enough reflected light still in the world that you're not in utter darkness. Utter darkness is hell. It even says it, that one day that, that, that those that don't believe in Christ will be cast into utter darkness. We're not in utter darkness right now because Jesus has come into the world and there's enough of us reflecting his light that we have an idea of what good is. I hope that made sense. And so my appeal is to come out of the darkness and come into the light. And my prayer is that the lights will be switched on. But I want to speak to Christians for a moment. Because I think we do a daggone good job of dimming the lights. Just like you have a dimmer switch somewhere in your house, or you know, we can kind of shadow the light, we dim the light all the time. And the reason I know that is because I dim the light. So maybe this isn't you, maybe this is therapy for me, but this is how we dim the light we're supposed to be reflecting. First of all, the obvious one is with sin. Is with sin. When we say we love the light and we follow the light, but instead we choose sin, we choose darkness, my willful sin, that is dimming the light. And we know it's true. Even if the sin is a secret because our relationships get fractured. And so our sin dims the light. And if there's ever a reason not to sin, it's because I want to walk in that light, because there is life, there is protection, there is security, there is guidance. And we let that light expose our sin. We dim the light when we compromise. 
when we compromise. Students, when you live one way on Sunday and one way at Foundry, but a completely different way at school, you're dimming the light. And I did that for years as a student. I'm not picking on students. I did that. I'm not saying anything that I haven't done already. And guess what, students? Don't feel bad. Your mom and dad are the same way. They just have a license now. And more responsibilities and do the same thing. And the compromise comes when, you know, I say, look, I know the light and I know the, white, or the right way, but I'm going to choose this little shadow. I'm going to choose to be two different people. We dim the light with laziness. No one likes to be called lazy. You notice that? It's not an attribute that we like. One of the biggest problems with the North American church, of which we are one, is the threat of laziness, complacency. Because we have so much. We have so much. We're blessed with so much. I don't feel like going today. I just watch it online. I don't feel like watching it online today. I'll, I'll binge watch it later. You know, I've been to that group before. It's, eh, eh. I already know the stuff, and I can't abide people that don't know the Bible answer, so I don't want We just, we get lazy. You know, I served my time. Oh, you didn't know I knew that excuse. Oh, before we built T1, I served all the time. I'm in a break. If your season of break has lasted more than a couple months, <laughs> you're not in a season, you're in a lifestyle. We get lazy. We get lazy, don't we? We get lazy in, see, in seeking God and his word. We, see, we get lazy in our prayer lives. We get lazy. Guilty. Oh, you thought that was my job? I'm just a dude who gets lazy. And we dim the light with fear. We know that person who's our friend, who's walking in darkness, and we know that we have the light and we're doing our best to reflect light, but we're afraid to take it further. We're afraid to invite. We're afraid to offer a word. We're afraid to say, hey, can I pray for you? We're afraid to share the source of the light that we have found. And because of fear, they're going to stumble around and die in the darkness. Because we're afraid. Don't dim the light. Jesus is the light of the world, but he says, you are the light of the world. Be the light, reflect the light, any way, every way, all day, all night. The light of the world. In 1 John, he tells us how. Very first chapter, starting in verse 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Well, there's darkness in me, but in him there's no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, willful sin, compromise, being lazy, fear, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't that good news? When you're walking in the light, you're loving God and you're loving people. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people is right when you walk in the light, choosing to obey, choosing to love, choosing to forgive, choosing to serve, choosing to sacrifice, choosing not to be complacent or have a bad attitude about roundabouts. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What do we do? What's the point? Walk in the light. Walk in the light. If you've never met the light, the lights have never been flipped on, the light is Jesus. And you receive him, he forgives, it just, we just read it. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. There is nothing you can do that God won't forgive, except one. Here's the unforgivable sin. Here's the unpardonable sin. To die having not surrendered to Jesus. That's the unpardonable sin. That's denying the Holy Spirit. But while the Holy Spirit is speaking in these uncommon ways in very common circumstances like church, like man camp, like your small group, like when your head hit the pillow and you hear the spirit's voice, give him your yes, say yes, yes to the light, walk in the light. Walk in the light and we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with him because there's forgiveness and it doesn't all happen at once. Like even in first John, what I just read, he said, it's a process. You know, if you say you walk in the light and you're walking in the darkness, you're lying. He's saying you're being a hypocrite. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you're saved, but you're choosing shadows. Don't choose the shadow. Choose the light. It's a simple choice. You always have a choice, light or dark. What are you going to choose? And when we choose the light, we choose Jesus. And when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him and things are good. But when I choose the dark, whether it's a season or a moment or the way I was raised, all of a sudden I'm in darkness again and it hurts that relationship with God and with other people. So what do you do? You walk in the light. If you're a believer, you choose the light. If you're a non-believer, I'm begging you, choose the light. We all have a choice. Choose light or stumble around in the darkness, thinking that we're hidden, thinking that we're not exposed. But here's the deal. Scripture says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means one day everyone will see the light and if the lights don't get flipped on for you in this life, one day they will be flipped on and the same way the cockroaches go running for the drain, you'll be driven to your knees and then to utter darkness. So walk in the light. Walk in the light when it's hard. Walk in the light when you don't feel like it. Walk in the light when you're tired. Walk in the light when your flesh creeps up and, and you say no to your flesh. Or maybe you said yes, but you confess it 
Move on. Walk in the light. Walk in the light, tabernacle. And when all of us are walking in the light together, we become that city on a hill. That city on a hill in Manistee. The city on a hill here in Buckley, Kingsley, Music, Houghton Lake, Cadillac. I mean, I, I didn't say your town. Sorry. Walk in the light there. Together, we're the light and we're reflecting his light within the world. That's what we're about. I'm done. So we're going to invite the bands to come. And I invite you to bow your head with me and take a moment and ask yourself the question, am I walking in the light? If you're not a Christian and you're not walking in the light, you're invited to come around the fire. It's warm here. There's life here. There's safety here. There's security here. If you're a student, a mom, a dad, retired person, and you've been choosing darkness, the call is the same. Walk in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That's the best place. It's the safe place. God, thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world, to illuminate not only our world, but to illuminate our hearts. God, I pray that for just one person today, that you would flip on the lights. And they could say, once I was blind, but now I see. God, would you help us to walk in the light as you are in the light? You are a satisfaction, but you illuminate and make sense of the world for us. Would you help us to see it and believe it? God, all of this I ask for your glory and for Christ's sake and in his name we pray. Amen. If you're wondering if the light will let you down, he won't.